podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. community, and I'll be reading Mark 11, 12 through 25. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves, because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple 
and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed that it had withered from its roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said, said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Creator in heaven will forgive you your sins too.
Will you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. I want to begin today by saying thank you to the preachers who have offered messages during our Why We Can't Wait series and Black History Month, as well as to David Orsman, who started us into our Lenten series last week. Epworth is blessed by so many persons gifted with bringing insight to our scripture, uh, who are able to offer guidance to our faithful lives, our hope for faithful lives. And I was blessed, as I know you were, to, to hear their messages. Thank you to each of you who offered a message in the last few weeks. And now here we are in the season of Lent, this six-week season that takes us from Ash Wednesday to Easter. And in this season, this journey, we're asked, we're being asked to focus on entering the passion of Jesus. And you're invited to feel with Jesus what he felt in the last week of his earthly life from the point of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem through the next seven days. His ministry and his message during this time reach a crescendo that demands our attention and our engagement. As we walk with Jesus through his passion and through Lent, we're asked to consider the great risks he was taking and, and particularly the great risk he took to go to Jerusalem in the first place. The occupying Roman power would likely have been threatened by Jesus' own ascendant power, his following, and his revolutionary teachings. And yet he does go to Jerusalem, whether from conscious choice or compulsion. The scriptures don't really clarify. I suspect it was both. And this is a risk he must have known that could cost him his life. As part of this series, we are asked to risk alongside Jesus, to look at the events of that last week and see how he was pushing on injustice, challenging the status quo, radicalizing what it means to be faithful and follow God's will. We're being asked to consider what risks for God and faith he calls us into. Last week, as he entered Jerusalem on a donkey, a humble leader, not a military king, he was risking reputation. Some surely said, this is indeed a very different kind of leader, a leader that I've been waiting for and felt that his entrance confirmed his messianic identity. And some probably thought, hmm, this isn't a leader. Look at him on that donkey. To enter on a donkey was a risk that could have harmed the movement he had inaugurated and the hope of freedom and liberation that he proclaimed. I hope you spent some time in prayer and meditation last week about thinking about your own reputation and how protecting it may prevent you may prevent us from walking with Jesus. And this week, we're confronted with the story of Jesus turning over tables in the temple, and we're asked to risk wrestling with anger. And anger does feel risky. 
Anger can feel irrational. It can so quickly spiral out of control. It can feel safer to avoid it altogether. And yet we have to make sense of this image, this picture of a raging and destructive Jesus. Often, often when sermons are offered on this scripture, the focus is on righteous anger. And the line typically goes that what's happening in the temple with the selling of animals to sacrifice is so egregious and the changing of coins from all parts of the Roman Empire into the temple currency is so profaning that Jesus has no choice but to rip the place apart. The message then follows that, that when there are examples, when there are situations, when we're confronted with extreme injustice and needless suffering, anger is an appropriate response, righteous anger. For us today, when systems of domination and inequality result in refugee children being taken from their parents or persons of color murdered by bias, the appropriate response is righteous anger and action. That's an important message. Injustice and needless suffering do require an impassioned and urgent response. But is there more to what's going on here in Jesus's anger? Biblical scholar Amy Jill Levine tells us that while sometimes this passage is interpreted as an indictment of market practices at the temple, there is actually no evidence that the poor were being exploited in the temple courtyard. Um, and in fact, Jesus's own parents, Mary and Joseph, bought a dove from the temple uh, table as sacrifice in an earlier chapter of Jesus's life. An offering of an animal was a required part of the culture and religious tradition at that time. And pilgrims from all over coming to Jerusalem to complete their pilgrimage needed what was being offered at the tables to practice their faith. And so if it, if it wasn't that, we might wonder if it was that practice itself that Jesus was objecting to, or what might be, what might have been called the, the temple domination system, and, and that sacrifice and purity rituals it, themselves were what Jesus was objecting to. But there's actually no evidence that Jesus hated the temple or rejected it. He continued to worship there. He encouraged his followers to worship there. He called it his father's house. The, the purity rituals were, were part of what he himself practiced and helped people to, to return to. So if it wasn't these things, what was the source of Jesus's anger in the temple courtyard? Levine suggests to us that it wasn't so much the temple or what was happening in the temple courtyard that Jesus was angry about, but people's attitudes. Listen to the scripture again. Jesus says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Jesus's concern is that the people coming to the temple and who are around the temple are more concerned with the trappings and souvenirs than the purpose of the temple itself, to be a house of prayer for all nations. Levine, who is herself Jewish, tells us this wasn't so much about not allowing 
non-Jews into the temple because non-Jews were welcomed. A whole section of the temple court was 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 uh, called the court of the Gentiles, and the temple courtyard it was huge, about the size of twelve soccer fields. We know that all were uh, uh, ostensibly welcomed, uh, Jews, non-Jews, rich, poor. But saying all are welcomed and making space for all persons are two different things. Levine says, already we find the challenge and the risk. Are churches today houses of prayer for all people? Or are they just for people who look like us, walk like us, and talk like us? And what do we really mean by welcome? Do we mean that all are welcome to live out their human and Christian vocations through all ministries of the church, or just some of us and some ministries? Jesus's righteous anger is not just directed outward toward any practice that may be oppressive or exploitative, but inward too, when the temple, or in our case, the church, is not fulfilling its mission and purpose. Anger is a complex human emotion, and the teachings from Jesus in this verse are an important part of how we think about anger. But there is even more to look at here. And when we widen our lens and frame what we are looking at to take in the verses just before and just after the temple scene, we see an even more inexplicable scene of anger. In the verses you heard Britt read just before and just after this scene, Jesus sees a fig tree. And this fig tree is bearing no fruit, and the scripture tells us that's because the fig tree is not in season. We, we have fig trees around us here in Northern California. We know they, they give fruit twice a year, which actually seems generous. But at this point, the fig tree was not bearing fruit. And Jesus becomes enraged, and he curses it. And, and um, he, he curses it, and he says, you will not bear fruit again. And then he and the disciples move on. They go to the temple. They, they spend the night somewhere. And then the next morning, they, they pass the fig tree again, and they see this poor tree, and it's completely withered and died from its roots. And I can just picture the disciples looking at Jesus kind of incredulously and saying, uh, Jesus, it's just a tree. I don't know how we could categorize what happened in this scene as righteous anger. I have a friend who is the mom of four kids, and I've always appreciated how she holds it all together. She has a demanding job. Her husband has a demanding job. The kids are involved in lots of activities. Uh, the parents are very involved in the community. And one day, several years ago, we were picking up uh, our kids from a birthday party. We were outside, waiting outside by our cars, the kids were inside, the party was over, we're talking, and she was just kind of running down a list of everything that she had to get done that afternoon. And she was clearly stressed, but she was holding it together. And the kids were taking a while to come out of the house. And one of her other kids was in the car, and she called to him and she asked him to go inside and tell his brother it was time to go. And she said, tell him if he's not out here in 10 seconds, I'm going to lose it. Well, within two seconds, her child was walking out of the house. Now, this is a kid I, I know. I know this kid. He's a good kid. He has a great sense of humor. 
but I haven't known him to be particularly quick at following directions or to or to stop on a dime when he's asked to to stop doing something that he's enjoying. So I was shocked. Wow, I said, he came right out. And she said, he's seen me lose it before. And he knew he didn't want to see that. Well, who among us hasn't at some point lost it? Who among us hasn't lost our temper? Maybe it was just driving alone and being cut off in traffic and letting out a big frustrated ug or yell. Or, or maybe it's just you can't find your keys and you're becoming later and later for that appointment you need to get to. And you feel that anger rising, anger at yourself for misplacing the keys or maybe misplaced anger thinking someone moved them and you feel yourself about to lose it. Or maybe, maybe it was just this, the stress of, 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 of living through a pandemic and being cooped up all the time that just has boiled over. And, and in these times of losing it, we may immediately regret it, and, and, and certainly, likely, we regret it at some point, but it happens. Is it possible that's what's going on with Jesus here with the fig tree? Is it possible that in addition to righteous anger, that Jesus has this kind of anger, that Jesus just lost it? Was he stressed and frustrated, anxious about the persecution he was experiencing, angry that he was facing death when all he had hoped to do was to fulfill God's will for the benefit of all? One of our enduring theological conundrums as Christians is how Jesus could possibly be fully human and fully divine. It doesn't make logical sense. 100% human, 100% divine, it doesn't add up. And yet, that is our belief. That is who he was. That is the, the crux of our faith. And this kind of anger, this just kind of, oops, anger, is human. And anger is a human emotion. So surely, as fully human, Jesus must have felt it. If he really was fully human, well, then it seems like he had to have lost it at least once. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's okay to curse living objects or to do harm in any way. I'm saying that anger is among the range of human emotions. And Jesus, as fully human, surely felt it. And Jesus is offering us a teaching here on how to deal with it and how to deal with its pull. In our culture, and particularly in white culture, anger can be seen as taboo. Ironically, white culture tends to be more comfortable with white men expressing anger, but not so much white women, and particularly not persons of color, uh, especially black men and black women. But anger is an emotion common to all humans. We all experience it. In itself, it is morally neutral. To feel it and name it is human. When expressed, if it is a channeling of righteous anger, it bears witness to an unacceptable reality and can lead to necessary challenge and change. 
If it is the more common frustrated, stressed, fearful, or irrational anger, expressing it can be destructive and harmful. In the totality of these verses, Jesus seems to be expressing both a righteous anger and a frustrated and stressed anger. And what these two episodes have in common is that in both cases, something that was created by God is not fulfilling its God-given purpose. The temple is not being a house of prayer for all people, and the fig tree is not bearing fruit. And Jesus does express this anger, and particularly in the case of the fig tree, it causes harm. And what does he do? When Peter calls out to him that the fig tree has withered, Jesus seems in some ways to be at a loss. How does this get reconciled? And then Jesus makes a statement about the power of faith in God, in God's power to do the impossible and the necessity of forgiving and asking for forgiveness and trusting that God forgives. God always forgives. As fully human, Jesus acknowledges his dependency on God's forgiveness. Sometimes we are called to take a risk to express our righteous anger at the obscene and tragic injustices we experience and that we see. And we are assured that God in the fullness of God's power carries this expression as it supports the liberative and loving purpose of God. And sometimes we just lose it. And in the regret and remorse that follows an expression of this kind of anger, we are asked to take a risk of trust. To take a risk to rely on God's power to accompany, to forgive and reconcile, to be reconciled. We are assured that God waits for us to turn to God in faith, to ask for forgiveness and to be forgiven. What a blessing it is to have a God who knows us in our complexity, who understands us, who has experienced in fullness what we experience and who loves us unconditionally. This, my friends, is good news. Amen. There's no hiding place down there. There's no hiding place down there. Oh, went to the rock to hide my face. Right, right out, no hiding there. No hiding place down there. Yeah.
says, all right, I'm no hiding place, no You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.